Welcome to Glass Onion Minute, the movie-by-minute podcast where we break down the sequel to Knives Out, one minute of screen time at a time. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. By all means, call me Sully. And my guest host for this week is... I'm Andrew Lindy. That's right. And Andrew and I are going to be covering, in this particular episode, minute number 19, which starts... With Birdie saying a word that I don't want to say because it will give us a mature rating on the podcast. And it ends with Leslie Odom Jr. saying that the question isn't. And we don't know what the question is. We just know what the question isn't at this point. <laughs> uh, but we're on a boat on this particular episode and what a boat it is. And in this particular episode, we're going to see a little more character development through framing and through dissolving. Um, we start the first shot we have of this particular minute is the still the last the tableau of the six on the gangplank to the boat, and you know, uh, uh, Birdie seems so happy uh, to see Ms. Brand waiting there, but she says, "Holy s." as a moment to say, this is what she's really thinking uh-huh. that she's going to be insincere, like nice to see you. And, uh, but apparently says what everyone else is thinking, which is, I can't believe what is happening here. And Peg still hasn't put the vape pen back in her mouth. <laughs> she's still aghast. And, uh, we see, and then we go back to Benoit, which is an interesting cut back to him because they're all looking at Janelle Monet right now. But when they cut back to Benoit, he's perfectly in focus. The entire background isn't. So once again, this is a little bit of Ryan Johnson telling us, I want you, I don't want you to be looking at her. Everyone else is looking at her. But we're looking at him looking at them. We're seeing the wheels turning in this particular sequence. And of course, when you rewatch a Knives Out movie, you're going to know that things aren't always what they seem to be. Spoiler alert, that should not be a spoiler. That things aren't always what they seem to be in a freaking Knives Out movie. But um, we see that the background's out of focus, that we're basically saying, okay, he's connecting that this event happening behind me means a lot to this group. And and seeing at this particular moment in the film, he is the audience surrogate. We're all trying to figure out why are they all reacting to her arrival like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I remember... uh being just so intrigued watching watching this for the first time is what you know what what is he looking for you know he's trying to pick up on some clue right he's he's trying to read some body language he's trying to see who's reacting in what way uh and and the mystery the the fun thing of this movie is that the mystery hasn't even revealed itself yet yeah not even to the mystery part of the you know or the murder part of the murder mystery and yet it still is interesting to try and read what how the different characters are reacting and what does what does Benoit think what who is he you know zooming in on I could not help but notice a stir at her arrival yeah that was a stir she's not in your little gang she was she is and of course 
it's interesting you say who's zooming in on because the camera moves a little bit in on Benoit, not much. And then we dissolve. We're, we're looking right at Daniel Craig's face because we, you know, we paid admission and the boat perfectly dissolves almost like it's coming out of his nose perfectly <laughs> dissolves and we see it coming along is that the aegean or the Mediterranean? which sea are we looking at here oh you know i'm not sure well it's uh, greece and the beautiful yeah. islands there and of what, course what, what i think is is so nice about this shot is it, it must be what like a like a drone a helicopter it's, it must it's be flying a drone, yeah. over the boat and they care enough to have the characters on the boat in the positions that we're about to see them in. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that's something that a lot of movies, you know, when they do a, a coverage shot like that, uh, it's sometimes it's just, Oh yeah, let's just get some coverage. This was, you know, we want to show you the positions of everyone before we go into the scene where they're going to actually be. Look at minute 16 of the clip or second 16. Yeah. where the, the boat is kind of the closest to the camera at this point. Mm-hmm. And you see you see Benoit, you see Leslie Odom Jr., you see Janelle Monet in their positions. Yeah. And there are different levels. There are different, there, it's literally levels on the boat. There, mm-hmm. One is lower than the other. And she's looking out kind of a reverse Leonardo DiCaprio, sort of looking back. And of course, you know, there's a right there. And you see Benoit is approaching him, the Leslie Odom yeah. Jr. But then we cut to behind, uh, be, behind her head, and the wake. She's looking. She's not looking ahead. She's looking back. The wake. The wake of her, and and that's sort of significant of like her arrival into the party or into the group has left a lot in her wake, and a lot of things have been left in the wake. You get the sense there's a lot left in the wake emotionally with her. And we start to hear more exposition. What, in... what do you think of the, there's there's a close shot on her hand. Yeah. Grabbing the railing. Uh, what what do you think of that? Um, I, I don't, I mean, other than it being a kind of a startling shot. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I thought maybe it's, it represents her holding steady. Maybe it's like, you know, I, I don't have, I mean, it's a great shot. Mm-hmm. Um if they had cut it out, I think the scene for me would have still worked. The The key is from behind her head and seeing the wake that she's sort of, you know, she's, yeah, that they can't get, you know, she won't be left behind. And so maybe that she, that's a sense of her being, you know, stable there, but yeah, yeah, I, it is, it is an interesting cutaway. I do. I, I, I think it's interesting when, um, when actors get to, you know, do something with their hands it's kind of like a, a another level of, you know, actors can present a lot with their face, but it's also mm-hmm. like the way that they hold something or pick something up or just even having their hands at their side and their pockets. And yeah, I think I think it is a very personal choice to have her, like you said, holding steady. There There is something that is, she is uneasy. And so she's holding on tightly. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, her presence has become an uneasy uh, uh, arrival to the, for the lack of a better word, to the festivities. And so, you know, it's maybe part of her saying, I'm going to hold steady amidst any potential, uh, you know, 
uh, against the people who would have left me in the wake. Like I can't, I don't trust these people. I got, we learn in the exchange between, uh, you know, between uh, Benoit and Lionel here that she was left in the wake and that, and, and I, there's so many great uses of uh, movie references. Like they said, they social networked her, Mm -hmm. um, which is of course reference to the, what happened to Andrew Garfield's character in the social network where he was, one of the founders and was basically screwed out of his shares. Um, boy, talk about a film that's not as much fun to watch anymore. Yeah. Uh, is the social network. Man, the sequel to the social network is going to be dark. It's no longer <laughs> about uh, a quirky guy coming up with this invention to talk to your friends. Nope, nope. It's a lot darker now. A lot darker now. I think, uh, I mean, I think even at the time it was kind of like, uh, you know, as, as, it was too close to the events that it was portraying, but it was kind of trying to be like a citizen cane of its time. And maybe it kind of succeeded in that weird way. Where you see the darkness, you see, uh, you know, that things were, were not all good. Yeah. But I still, I think they made them into more, they, they, they were trying to find some of the more lovable scampish parts of them too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yes, it didn't portray him as a, you know, as a hero, but it also was like, well, but he's a quirky guy and look at what he did, you know, and, and as opposed to, you know, what happened, mm-hmm. but, but we're not talking about the social network. We're talking about this. <laughs> um, there's going to be plenty of times to make references to megalomaniacal uh, uh, tech giants. Um, but yeah, we got to see here this, and this is a trope of these kind of murder mysteries, which is you have to sometimes clumsily, uh, get some exposition out as fast as you can as you're trying to lay out the, uh, you know, the, all the different motives. I don't think it will ever be, I mean, maybe it's tough to say it will never be because you know, who knows, maybe uh, Knives Out 3 will be really fantastic. But the way that it was done in the first one of each one of them having their secret meeting with Christopher Plummer's character. Um, oh, yeah. I think that was the greatest way of trying to say, oh, man, they all want to kill him, don't they? <laughs> I yeah and I do think uh do you think that in this minute you know he Blanc approaches Lionel here do you think mm-hmm. he trusts Lionel the most out of the group I think um Lionel and Governor Claire seem to be the two cuz he was closer to them on the pier mm-hmm. so he, he they may have struck him as being more logical or being more um, intellectually reliable, for the lack of a better term, mm-hmm. than certainly Dave Batista or Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and he would say that you know, her arrival created a stir, um, which is a great way of of putting it. But um, yeah, I mean, he he knows he can't talk to Birdie J because he know, you know he's uh, he gets a sense while he admires the fashion element that. You know, she's not going to she's not going to tell him what he wants. And and, uh, you know, for God's sakes, Duke is this, you know, this hurricane of of masculinity. So he'll probably say the wrong thing about it. So, no, I think he probably finds a kinship in terms of reliability with um, Lionel. Mm-hmm. He probably should just ask Peg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I mean, but maybe her, you know, closeness to Birdie makes her unreliable that's true that's true and of course 
that that he was part of this crew and mm-hmm. so and you know and he's trying to figure out was she part of a crew and he has a great moment she was she is like he was like trying like he catches himself mm-hmm. at one point and it, it makes for a a wonderful freudian slip of lionel's character yeah and that's i mean and that uh, you know blanc asks you know oh he still invited her to this event yeah. that even though she was cut out of the company yeah you know in such a way like he's he he is very point blank asking point blanc you know, yeah, <laughs> asking so for information you know directly without you know he, he is doing his very blatant detective work and he started alpha with miles 10 years ago just the two of them that's cassandra brand andy yeah and they're no longer partners one legal move cut her out completely booted her without a dime social network lord but he still invited her to this weekend i gotta say there's one thing that this scene specifically reminded me of one of the appeals of the film we talked in the last minute about how that there there is you know there are some forms of entertainment that even if they're predictable and formulaic we like the formula it's fun and um and i think there was a lot of people who enjoyed the first one and enjoyed this one because you got to see movie stars sometimes playing against type and having fun and that's infectious but there's another element to it which is uh it's just one of the reasons that Columbo always worked was that Columbo always was taking down, you know, rich people who think they're better than you. And this is filled with rich people who think they're better with you. So you can't wait for them all to come crashing to the ground. But also you're in sort of, an ex- you know, you're in, you're entering kind of an exotic wealthy world that most people don't live in in the first one you're in this new wing this old new england house for old new england money and and it had the fall tones to it and as a native new englander you know someone who grew up in massachusetts my heart was exploding you know my my blood type is chowder and it was you know it was so wonderful seeing that and it was very fall colors which you know autumns in new england are incredible but in this one it's this it's a different exotic location. This is why it was such smart to do the sequel like this. You didn't get Anna de Armas back. You didn't bring back Jamie Lee Curtis. You got a whole new group, but you also got a whole new environment. You're in Greece and the and it's very summer colors and everything. And there's it's there's sometimes a travel log element to it. That now okay, the first time we we're in this the old New England money, but now we're we're on a you were in the, the the sea in Greece and we get to see how the other half lives. And it's it's a travel log and going mm. to exotic places. You wouldn't want this to take place in Teaneck, New Jersey. You know, you want to go you want to go to these exotic places, which brings us back to Daniel Craig. How lucky is he that he gets two franchises where he gets to globe hop, you know, globe trot to all the exotic places in the world and have the time of his life doing it. Yeah, I <laughs> he you know he uh, across the Bond films, I I don't even know how many countries he went to. He because he, so, they they filmed you know so much of it on location at different places, and uh, I, he must have had so much fun. And now here he is uh, in Greece, and who knows where you know the next Knives Out at Benoit Blanc adventure will go. And I th- I think he probably has more fun doing Benoit Blanc because his decision 
which by the way, you know, he gets all the credit for taking Bond seriously as an actor and finding the gravitas to it. And I just sometimes want to raise my hand and say, like, Timothy Dalton tried that yeah. in Living Daylights. And I don't think anyone was ready for it because we just had, you know, you know, 20 years of Connery and more and who were roughly the same age, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so when you had a younger guy and everyone was expecting to be Pierce Brosnan and turn out to be this guy, Daniel, uh, Timothy Dalton, who was taking it very seriously, I think people were like, what's going on? What's what, This isn't Bond. But I actually think I actually think Living Daylights is one of the best Bond films ever. I think it's a I, fantastic. Yeah, I have to agree. D- Dalton is uh, right beneath Daniel Craig on, on my list of top Bonds. He's, I, I, he's so I, good. I did not like License to Kill because I f- thought it was... It felt like it didn't feel like a Bond film. It felt like a revenge movie, and I, that's mm-hmm. not what I want. I didn't. I think he's excellent in it. Mm-hmm. I just the tone of the film to me, and I know some people are big fans of it, but the tone of that one to me just I said, I don't feel like I'm watching a Bond film. Living Daylights. I thought this is. I really liked it when it came out, but now when you watch it in a vacuum. <laughs> and you see what he, you know, you don't see it as we were just what four years removed from Octopussy for God's sakes. Um, and and you know, the the dreadful view to a kill, which <laughs> when you look back, it looked like cocoon, everyone was so old in that film. <laughs> and and that they really let's try to do something different. They made a they made a damn spy movie, and John Reese Davis is great in it, and and um, you know, the great Joe Don Baker is great in it, and um, and when you look back at it now, you see that he was trying stuff back then that Daniel Craig got praised for later, especially, I know this isn't living daylights moment, but we were talking about Daniel Craig and there's a reason I'm bringing this up, especially there's that great scene when Timothy Dalton is threatening to, to kill John Reese Davis and John mm-hmm. Reese Davis is basically saying, I'm not the guy you want to kill. And it's a real, it's a great James Bond scene and of which had a edge to it that none of the Roger Moore films had and few of the Connery films had, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And I think people weren't ready for Bond to be holding a gun, like clearly ready. I'm going to shoot you like, and not say a quip. And uh, now every, you know, you know, Daniel Craig does like, oh, he's a genius. He's a genius. And, but I also think it's probably playing bonded like that is probably exhausting mm-hmm. so he seems to be having more fun playing benoit blanc <laughs> did, <laughs> which is... did you see um logan lucky oh i loved logan lucky yeah I his character him. in that is it's almost like it now it feels like him trying out for benoit blanc like it's, yeah. it's truly like he's testing out the accent and the mannerism and the kind of playing a kind of a weird guy who who gets into you know these kinds of uh strange uh capers uh so i look and lucky's a lot of fun Logan lucky was the first r-rated film i ever took my kids to see wow um and uh i loved there was someone who called it ocean 7-eleven oh yeah <laughs> it's totally uh, those, those, yeah. those but he you know but again it goes back to the appeal the first one I think caught a lot of people off guard. Um, and I think the appeal was it's everyone's having so much fun. And Daniel Craig is is like complete opposite of Bond in this film. 
And you know, when I first saw that they were doing a murder mystery and that Daniel Craig was essentially going to be playing the, the, the Hercule Poirot role, I thought he was going to play it like, you know, a suave Englishman. Mm-hmm. And then the first time I heard his voice, he was doing the foghorn leghorn thing. I'm like, I, I, my head exploded when I first heard, you know, I saw, I saw the stills of the film. And I said, oh, I bet he's going to play the smooth, you know, maybe a little Cary Grantish element to it. And instead, he was, you know, he was a, a southern gentleman. You know, it's like it was, you know, to me that just that that I said, okay, you have my, take my money. And so, and the fun of that is infectious here. And here, they also like Leslie Odom for a lot of you know he's you know forever entrenched as Aaron Burr in Hamilton. And, you know, this, this absolute uh, sensation. You know. Uh, pop culture sensation and he gets to play a very different character in this and and seeing these people having fun is part of the fun yeah totally and we get to see you know and we get to see some beautiful scenery you know beautiful scenery beautiful people and uh you know and like a fun you know and and it's a little you know, it's a little meta. It's a little meta that we're going to watch a murder mystery. Okay, yeah, that's what we're going to do. There's a murder mystery within the murder mystery, and that's <laughs> that's a lot of the fun there. Well, well, and the 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 first one plays with a bit of a meta with that it it was a mystery writer, right? So you kind of feel like you know everyone there is so involved in murder mysteries themselves to be tied into one. It's so and, interesting. And I think one thing that very intelligently. Um, Ryan Johnson did with the first Knives Out and with this one, by, but especially that first one, by throwing in the winks about Clue, the fact that he was a mystery writer, everything like that, um, it it sort of diffused the people who would, if it was taking itself way too seriously, like any potential either plot holes or inconsistencies might really be bothersome, but it's it's like we're having fun. And so if there's something that didn't quite make sense to you, just, just keep keep just keep moving. We're having fun here. We're having fun here. And um and I and I, that same thing happened in this film. Especially when, you know, and you know, in the end of the next minute, we're gonna have the the introduction of of Edward Norton um with the crew here. And boy, if there's any movie star that looks like he's having the time of his life. It's going to be Edward Norton in this movie, in my humble opinion, and uh, and you know that's that's the appeal of it. And it's like you know, if it, you know, if we have to, if there are any points where we paint ourselves in the corner and we have to kind of, you know, run through the wet point paint, eh, just let us run through the wet paint. You're seeing beautiful people and beautiful settings, movie stars doing a murder mystery. Just calm down. Do Do you have any uh, hopes for the? Third one, yes, I have tons or... hope for the third one. Tons yeah. hope for for these for these. Uh, first of all, because I think he's found an interesting formula. Yeah, um, I think that if he gets the people who are involved in Poker Face involved in this one, because I like Poker Face a lot. I think mm. there's a lot of fun in Poker Face, which shows that he understands it's a certain formula. There's well, also he, and, and uh, what Natasha Leone cameos at the yes. beginning of of yes uh, with Kareem Abdul Jabbar and yeah. Stephen Sondheim and. Who's in the other box? Angela there? Lansbury. 
Angela, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yes. It's a, it, they're, they're ties to, to detective work or something like that is so interesting because like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he is a, he's a big like Sherlock Holmes guy. Like he wrote a Sherlock Holmes story. I there's think that's no, so fascinating. There, there's no end to the fascination I have with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's, yeah. he's, he's incredible. But the thing is, is that, that you've seen that you're going to be able to get the pick of the litter for any movie stars to show up in this film. Mm-hmm. You also know you're going to have Daniel Craig, who is supposedly the person who's going to solve the mystery, but most of the heavy lifting is going to be done by a beautiful young woman who is thrown against all of these rich people and has to outsmart them. And then that, that when, is, yeah, that is the formula these and, these two films have had. Yeah. Yes. And then you have like a, a, it's kind of like when they were making the airport movies and you said, you know, you're going to have George Kennedy here. You have to have the big movie star, whether it's Charlton Heston or Burt Lancaster or Jack Lemmon. Then you're going to have the, 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 the old classic movie stars who have cameos and then you're going to have the comedian and then you're going to have it. So it's like you, it, it's you, everyone's going to fit in that role. And I'm, I'm going to tease because there's another big reason why I think these films have become successful. I'm going to tease that for the next episode. But the other thing is, you've had one which is very fall, very fall. You know, Nine's House, mm-hmm. very fall, New England, and everything like that. This is very summer. We've got two more seasons, which I think the next one might be either in a ski resort or someplace like Holland, where tulips are coming up and everything. So we're either <laughs> going to get spring or winter. So you know we're going to probably get four good ones. You know, probably get four good ones. Oh, that, and yeah, that is that is an exciting uh, hope to have that he would he would go through all the seasons like that. That's oh, kind of there's got to be a fifth one too. The fifth, oh, yeah. one, has, the fifth one has to be Christmas. <laughs> a very. I, I will. I will say the the um, on my uh, other podcast, nothing new. When we were talking about uh, you know uh, Death on the Nile, the mm-hmm. the remake of that. And they announced a a third one was in the works, and before anything had come out about it, I had hoped that the third Kenneth Branagh Her- Hercule Poirot film would have been a Christmas movie. I thought that would have been really funny because mm-hmm. you don't really get a lot of um, you know Christmas detective type Oof. movies. Christmas movies follow like a very strict Santa formula, so to have a detective movie in in you know set at christmas and in, in yeah. you know that would be that's such an interesting concept yeah, go, go, go. all i demand is a million dollar finder's fee <laughs> so there you go well look at that's all i gotta have on this on this particular we got one more show that you and i are gonna do this has been a blast mm-hmm. um so uh hey uh um did you andrew lindy do you have anything else you want to talk about this particular minute uh no, this this has been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, to the next minute. All right, we'll tell you what, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter at Glass Onion Min, all one word. Uh, listen, rate, review, subscribe on podcasters of your choice. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Tomorrow's gonna be our last show. Uh, I'm gonna be hosting uh, a couple later, but this last one, you and I are gonna be doing this. So stay tuned. For tomorrow's show, we'll be covering Minute 20 of Glass Onion here at Glass Onion Minute.